Hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I am your host, Michael Lilienthal, and this is my guest, Ethan Bartlett. I am his guest, Ethan Bartlett. You just you just did a me. What? I, I just <laughs> like, said the thing. That, that's exactly what I used to do all the time. But then last time I did something different because well, I definitively wanted to do something different. But, but now you're imitating, now imitating how I used to be. How you used to be because now it's like uh, uh, retro. Oh! It's, it went away and now I'm bringing it back and that makes it retro. It's a throwback Thursday. Yeah. Except so we're recording on a Sunday, Sunday and so. the episode will come out on a Friday. So throwback Thursday. Throwback Thursday. <laughs> Huzzah! Huzzah! Right. As the gentle listener can no doubt see, Michael and I did just put our arms up both of the times that we said throwback Thursday. We or really all of the times, whatever. No, I feel like we forget sometimes this is an audio medium. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's very troubling. We need to like cut down on the the physical gags a little bit. <laughs> You said you said waving your waving hands my to hands. illustrate cutting. Hey, I talk with my hands. I can't help it. At yeah. least I'm also speaking out loud. That's true. That's true. The whole uh, the episode we did where we tried to telepathically beam our thoughts into the listeners' minds. Yeah, I know. We didn't get any feedback from no, that episode. None. None. Which either means that our telepathy didn't work through the audio medium, which I doubt. Or our listeners just don't have the brain capacity for it. Yeah, that that seems right. That's more likely. That seems it seems good to insult the <laughs> brain capacity of our listeners less than five minutes into the episode. <laughs> uh, don't judge my methods. <laughs> um, so yes, we are in a room. We are going to very shortly start discussing this book, Plain Song, by Kent Haruf. 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 Careful, uh, we'll alarm the dog. Yeah, I know. We did that last time when we introduced the book. Oh, did we? No. We didn't because she wasn't here. So two times ago. She did, wait, when did we alarm her then? I don't know. I feel like we alarm her frequently anyway. We do. We but... definitely do. Every time you and I and the dog are in the same place, one of us alarms her somehow. <laughs> it's true. It's true. She's easily alarmed. That's true. I mean, for her not getting petted counts as alarm. <laughs> right, so. right. The petting stop. What? <laughs> Which granted is how I also am with my wife, so I don't really have any moral high ground there. That's true. Uh, well, would you like to know what scotch we'll be drinking, Yes. Ethan? Well, I'd like more to be drinking it, but I guess I'll take the knowledge of what we're drinking. Okay. Well, I'm going to make you work for it. Ah, come on. You know that's the <laughs> one thing that I hate. <laughs> Literally anything that causes me to get up off my butt and take any actions in the world. Uh, and like, I already drove like a hundred miles to be here today. Yeah, so I know. I've, I've like, so I'm done with action Your commitment is the already there. I'm just testing the limits of the commitment. Yeah, the, the limits are like 50 miles down the road. It was just momentum that got me here. <laughs> that's pretty good momentum. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's a good thing I'm downhill from you. <laughs> yeah. That's, I only had to hit the gas pedal once and then I just rolled the rest <laughs> yes. of the way here. Because that's how anything works. That's, that's physics. That's physics. Right? Yeah, we know physics. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. English degrees. <laughs> uh, well, the scotch, you will find... I was going to say, well, physics physics is uh, expressed in language. So we have a degree in language and therefore, therefore also a degree in, in physics. physics. It's true. So it's now true. we've alienated all our listeners and also any physicists in our audience. <laughs> yes. So we're going strong here. Good. Yes. I like alienating people. Uh, so, uh, while we're alienating people, let's drink the scotch. And All right. You have to get it. Where is it? It's in the closet over there. Go open that closet door. There's going to be a ghoul or something in here. <laughs> All right. I got up off my butt. Yep. And in there, you'll see a hat resting on top of a bag. I do. Pick up the hat. Then pick up the bag. And there's the scotch. Ah! <laughs> you found it. <laughs> I had a really good hiding place for it. It was very good. And I wouldn't found have it. probably found it without looking at least a little bit. Yeah. At least like picking two things up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Under things. <laughs> so the scotch that we'll be drinking is Bruchladich, uh Scottish Barley, the classic Lottie. Um, so Bruchladich, as you can see, if you read all the way around this very round tin container. Yes. Um, and it says a lot of things about itself. Uh, it's it's a light blue, kind of robin's egg blue container. And it says, This cla- this is classic Bricladic. An elegant spirit derived from unpeated Scottish barley is gently coaxed from our tall stills and slowly matured in American oak casks. 
These are then carefully selected by our master distiller, Jim McEwen, to explore and express the definitive Bricladic style and insight into the heart and soul of our classic spirit. The Laddie Classic Scottish Barley sets out to define who we are. Ultimate provenance, ultimate traceability, an achingly slow distillation and maturation on eyelay in the finest wood. This complex single malt has no artificial coloring and is bottled at 50% ABV without chill filtration to preserve the natural oils and esters that are so essential to the appreciation of a fine scotch whiskey and then it goes on for four more paragraphs wow as you can see Impressive. i'm not going to read the rest of yeah, those that's, paragraphs that's quite acceptable but this is I a very say... verbose scotch <laughs> which seems appropriate <laughs> right. actually and i will say there was a phrase that that you used or that they used technically I love the phrase gently coax from our tall stills. Yes. That, you know, if you've ever seen like a whiskey still, they're usually sort of have like a, like a squat base and then sort of some, some, what looks like piping going up. So they get yeah. thinner. They sort of look like almost just, I want to say a smokestack or something, you know, going, going up. Um, and I know I'm butchering this explanation, but yeah. what I want to say is that the the image that was put into my mind is just like <laughs> from the top of one of those stills, just some scotch like peeking out, <laughs> and some master distiller having to be like, "Come on, it's okay, come on, it's you okay." Can... Yeah, come and then on. it like goes back and then comes out. Oh, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay, come yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. gently coaxing it, gently coax it into the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> at which point they will cork it and then ship it off to be consumed by someone else. So it's actually a very fairly morbid. violent end to what was yeah. originally an adorable kind of an image right it was but... adorable and then it got horrific yeah so yeah. well let's look at the bottle here yeah it's really tight there we go oh interesting look at that it's it is glass it is glass. but it is, this is solidly just... painted that same robin's egg blue it's a very pleasing bottle like i just right? want to sit here and fondle it for a while <laughs> i'll take that <laughs> I, but i like fondling your bottle <laughs> please don't fondle my bottle anymore. you always fondle my bottle i guess because no you do shh <laughs> that's a, that's I have a no good comeback so uh all right i'm gonna i'm gonna open this up let's see i'm gonna if i can get this is it. this is the part of the show where we test our dexterity sober <laughs> right Okay, and here it comes. There we go. Very good. Just want to see what it says. Sure. Progressive Hebridean Distillers. Mm-hmm. So, let's see what this is all about. Oh, it did wink at me as you were pouring it, so. Mm, yes. It's got an attitude, this Ooh. scotch. It's got quite an aroma, too. Yeah, it's actually, as soon as I popped the, the cork on it, mm. it was very fragrant. So, well, in a moment, um, we will clink our glasses. And then once we clink our glasses, the rules go into effect. You know, we've we've gone 12 minutes into this podcast and no rules talk yet. Well, we did we did about nine minutes of BS at the beginning. So, True. Or three minutes, rather. So we've only all get nine minutes cut in. Out, so. I, would, I would like it on record that this is how we're talking today while still sober. <laughs> yep. So, <laughs> this is part one. On, on track for these to be some of our most incoherent episodes yet. <laughs> Great. Great. <laughs> uh, so the rules that will go into effect once we clink our glasses are as follows. Number one, once the scotch is poured and glasses have clinked with salutations, no one shall mention the scotch. If the scotch is mentioned by any party, another party shall prescribe a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt to be performed by the offender by the end of the currently being recorded episode. This penalty shall apply to the one who transgresses any of the rules herein prescribed. I'd like to edit the wording on some of these sentences. You can't. They're written in stone. Dang it. Uh, That's a lot of work on your part, too. <laughs> I know. It took so long. <laughs> I had to find a chisel first. Yeah, that's... And then a stone, because my wife didn't want me doing it in the wall. <laughs> so. So. Rule number two. No mention of any mothers in a derogatory, pejorative, or any other than purely and legitimately literary sense shall be tolerated from any party. Number three. Any guest appearing on the podcast has the privilege to assign a new rule. We don't have a guest unless Erda counts. Erda, you want to give us a rule? She is licking her, her upper leg. Okay. So, so I'll take that as that's a no. A, that's, yeah, because any precedent that does that, I think, is terrifying. <laughs> it is. It is. I don't know what it means, so I'm going <laughs> to pretend I don't know what it means. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rule number four. Michael shall not make mention of vampires unless textually quoted. 
Rule number five, Ethan shall not utter the phrase first paragraph, even if literarily sound. And rule number six, the, our most recent rule, any party that interrupts the podcast to fulfill necessary bodily functions, e.g. a potty break, shall lose. Fear of losing, however, ought not prevent the necessary fulfilling of said bodily functions. Very good. Because we do not advocate getting urinary tract infections. Right. I, I know that's like... You know, we sort of try to stay away from politics on this show and try to stay away from but controversy. Sometimes you just have to take a stand it's on a literary level. But I am going to say, you know, come at me. I am against urinary tract infections. We, that is our platform. Yeah, we are anti-UTI. Yeah, that, so. you know, that's a nice little ring to it. We could come up with a jingle: anti-UTI. We have said urinary tract infections like seven times. Now. <laughs> that's a problem. So any listeners we didn't already lose, from the, <laughs> from done the physicists, now. and also the insulting all of people, right? Yeah, no, they're they're just gone. They're so. gone now. Great. Oh, um, oh, well, oh. so once our glasses clink, the rules go into effect, and we should say before we do this too: drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan, Michael, <laughs> gentle listener, <laughs> gentle listener, you're the real problem here. That's right. So, slancha. <laughs> Did you just forget all toasts? <laughs> no, I remembered the one that I did last time. Is this the one, is that the one that you did last yep, time? Yep, remember I was going to get t-shirts printed with it? Oh, that's right, that's right. Also, I would I would like to call back to last time when you did lose by going to the bathroom approximately like 10 minutes before the end of the episode. Yeah, I know, it was so close. It was so sad. I was proud of you. But for, for for taking so action against UTIs. Yes. yes. Exactly. <laughs> Alright, let's try not to mention UTIs. <laughs> Alright, we'll do our best. Whew. So the book Plain Song that we read for this month. Yes. By Ken Taruff, published nineteen ninety nine. Um I have a lot of thoughts about this book. Okay. Like I don't know how coherent a lot of them are. Well, but <laughs> how coherent are they ever? That's fair. Um, but uh, the gentle listener may not know, I finished reading this book about 20 minutes before we started recording. So um, <laughs> so they will be very fresh and very sort Very of fresh fragmented. thoughts. But they've been ruminating throughout my entire reading. So sure. uh, the one thing I'll say is just the title of the book is provocative. Mm -hmm. uh, calling it Plain Song. And it, it's got a brief explanation for it at the very beginning before the book even starts. Uh, well, a definition of plain song. It says the uh, unisonous vocal music used in the Christian church from the earliest times, any simple and unadorned melody or air. Um, and from that definition, I've picked up a bunch of themes sure, that yeah. go throughout this book. Absolutely. Um, and I might just list them and then we can start talking about them. Just the themes from this point. Uh, number one, it's uh, used in the Christian church. So there's yes. a religious connotation. There's so much religion stuff going on, religious overtones and things yeah. uh, throughout the book. Um, then uh, the the voice just being something that goes on, especially one voice at a time. Yes. Uh, and that gets, hint, uh, that gets hit very solidly throughout the book. One voice at a time, speaking or singing or expressing anything. Uh, or, uh, or the unity, yeah. multiple voices expressing the in, same thing. In unity, yes. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, and then, uh, the, the way it's described as, uh, simple and unadorned melody. Yes. Uh, that, uh, that idea that it's defined by a lack of something else. Right. Uh, which, uh, that also continues throughout this book. Right. Um, just in the very style of the book itself. Maybe we can talk about that just a little bit. Yeah. Um, that, and that's the, when, when you hit that word unadorned, that's where I, my brain goes instantly is just that it's, that it's an almost one word or single phrase apologia for the entire style of the book. Yeah. Um, that it's just very unadorned that there's, mm -hmm. there's the impression of like a no BS kind of a, an attitude in the prose itself. Absolutely. Which like, um, it, it kind of opened up a potential problem for me. Uh-huh. Uh, when I started reading it and thought, okay, this book is called Plain Song, and the prose style of this book is Plain Song. Yeah. So, what do his other books sound like? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a problem. It's just uh, an interesting thought I had. That's, it's a curiosity, yeah. Yeah, it's a curiosity. There you go. And it's, you know, it's definitely one of those arguments for reading an author in context, reading mm -hmm. multiple works and, and sort of folding those those other works in which 
uh, we did not do in this in this particular instance. Um, no, I had never read uh, before. I before I read this book, I had never read anything else by the author. I still haven't read anything else by the author. Mm-hmm. I did buy uh, what seems to be the follow up to this book, Eventide, mm-hmm. um, just just the other day, but I haven't read any of it yet. Yeah. So Which... that's really just a long winded multi clausal sentence way of saying I have no idea what the answer to your question is. <laughs> Thank you. <You're> <laughs> Very good. Um, <laughs> um, also, I would like to mention that Plain Song and the definition of Plain Song contains the only pun that I believe is in this book. Okay. In the sense that, you know, if, you, if and especially in, in this, this, this little definition here does add something, um, add a real layer to the book, because you could take that page out easily and... You know, most most readers would not notice that it was gone. Oh, sure. Um, in in context of the rest of the book, it would uh, just leave us with the question: Why is it called Plain Song? Right. And without but, this page, what my assumption would be is just that it takes place on the plains. On the plains, yeah. And it's sort of a you <laughs> yeah. know, there's there's sort of a lot going on. Um, you know, there's a lot of threads being sort of woven in and out, and um, so it's it's a uh, you know, I, I would think okay, it takes place on the plains and like. There, there are song elements to it. Sure, it, but with this, with this in there, with a clear sort of acknowledgement of the history of that phrase, it adds a a dimension that wouldn't be there without this simple like two line almost quote from the dictionary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it it definitely does, uh, and it's something that reading it as the very first thing, it's stuck in your mind. Then as you continue reading, yeah, and I think even subconsciously when you read a book. You're waiting for the title to come up right, in the book, right? Which it never does. No, because it came we got up that at the beginning, the way, right, right from the get go. <laughs> right. Uh, so then you're left just. It, it, it's actually, I think, a brilliant move because by setting it up with that definition, then you've got very clearly what he means by the title in your mind, and you're also waiting for it to come up in the book, which right. leaves you paying attention, yeah, to it, yeah, uh, and keeping plain song in your mind, right, as you're reading the whole book. Um, one other thing I'll note about the style, and maybe we'll talk more about the style as well, yeah. but, uh, uh, this, the prose style is itself unadorned, uh, by quotation marks. Uh-huh. There are uh-huh. no quotation marks. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, which is a style that was in vogue about the time that this was being written, you know, late 20th yeah. century and stuff, which a lot of that just annoys the crap out of me. Sure. This didn't. Uh-huh. Uh, I appreciated how it did that because it actually did accomplish uh, things that way. You've got occasions where there are two characters at a time and they walk up to somebody uh, and then you get what's clearly a quotation, but there are no quotation marks to right. s- break it off. Uh, and not even any introduction he said or this person said. Yeah. It's just left one of them said it or both of them said it in right. a sort of plain song sort right. of fashion right. uh, where they're, they're united in this, uh, which just... The, that that small feature of not having quotation marks in the entire book enhanced that idea of what plain song means. Sure. Um, the the uh, author that you often hear, um, you know, talked about or brought up when when you talk about unadorned, both unadorned styles and specifically that feature of not having quotation mm-hmm. marks is Cormac McCarthy, yep. um, who I think probably uh, helped greatly foster that that um you could call it a fad or a vogue for not mm-hmm. having quotation marks because all of his his books didn't um and i you know i've read uh, a lot of books about sort of how to write prose or how to write fiction um and a lot of a lot of the the books like that especially from that that mid 90s through say 2005 or so mm-hmm. era um a lot of them talk about but sometimes it's just in the context of stylistic oddities in general, but um, they'll talk specifically about not having quotation marks. And, um, you know, the the sort of the standard how to write a book warning about that is uh, make sure that, A, your dialogue is super crisp and clear, you know, uh, you, you, dialogue in general, you should always know who's talking without having to be told like Mm -hmm. that's sort of a rule of writing good dialogue um but it's especially 
necessary when you have such an unadorned style where mm-hmm. you don't even bother to use quotation marks. You don't necessarily uh, give dialogue tags. Um, you really, really need to to uh, sort of have your characters well-defined and their, their speaking patterns and styles well-defined so that it's either unmistakable or a mistake wouldn't matter. It would, it mm-hmm. would do the same thing. Um, but I think what the deeper sort of idea behind that is is you need to uh have a purpose for any stylistic choice you make yes um you know so and i think probably uh sort of guessing sort of commenting on my own reading experience being that uh at that time i think a lot of people left off the quotation marks just because like that was the thing that you did mm-hmm. everyone else in best-selling their... authors did that yeah and, <laughs> so. and like everyone else in their creative writing uh uh group or their if they you know if you were in an mfa program in your in your cohort everyone else was doing that so you better do it too yep you know only squares use quotation marks that kind of thinking right. um which, which is i was much... definitely the type in high school and college to do the opposite of what everybody else is doing so <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, it was is... in fact which is part of the reason that whole thing just annoyed me right like, yeah because it, it was just in vogue it was just the thing that people did and i was like why i don't want to do it that way right so, and i think anyway. and i think a lot of that annoyance was very valid um and yeah no i'm i'm more like you like if everyone else was was doing one thing in literature i would you know my my instinct was to do the opposite thing which is why i attempted to write like 18th century novels when i was in right you know high yeah, school yeah was, exactly uh you know was, everyone everyone was into the spare thing so i was like let's go florid you know until i read some short stories by david foster wallace and then i figured out what the apotheosis of that is and shied away from <laughs> and that also as what well. the word apotheosis meant yeah yeah <laughs> uh I was using that word when I was seven. I don't know about you. Oh, okay. So now our listeners know everything they ever wanted to know about Ethan. That's pretty much true. Yeah, you could just <laughs> take that that clip and like use it as my biography, and that's really all you all you need. I'm gonna do that um, somehow. I'm gonna fit that into a biography of you somewhere. You do that. You do that. Yeah. There are ghosts in your house. Yeah, I know. I know. I think that ghost is is making supper for us. Oh well, baking a chicken. So then that is my favorite ghost. Yes, <laughs> my new absolute favorite ghost. Um, <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, now you know. In contrast to someone who leaves off their quotation marks just because it's in vogue, um, is someone like Kent Huff. And mm-hmm. you know, that's not to say maybe he did get the idea from reading uh you know from reading Cormac McCarthy or right. or someone influenced by Cormac McCarthy or someone who influenced McCarthy whatever um you know but obviously the the old uh, adage is uh good artists borrow and great artists steal um yeah and part of that is yes you get the idea from someone else but there needs to be a textual reason or a or a, a formal reason or a thematic reason uh if you're gonna do something like that mm-hmm. um you know sort of sort of default would be to not do it so you're making a statement by making the choice to do it correct uh and yes in case the gentle listener is keeping track we have done 12 minutes on quotation marks and there's no end in sight <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, that's so, okay. That's okay. But, um, but here, you know, you're you're absolutely right. It follows, and you, you know, essentially what I just said, you illustrated twelve minutes ago when we started talking about this, what the the absence of quotation marks does. Mm-hmm. Um, and if nothing else, it does make that plain song idea mm-hmm. much much stronger. So you know, you have two people talking. Someone said this thing. Maybe both of them said it. It almost doesn't matter in a, mm-hmm. in a very real sense. Um, I, and I'll say this too, I never felt confused by the lack of quotation marks. Yeah. Uh, it was always clear to one degree or another who was speaking. And if it wasn't perfectly clear, it was in an instance where it didn't matter who exactly was saying it. Right. In fact, it was more interesting if you analyzed it from multiple perspectives. Yeah, and maybe the ambiguity then was mm-hmm. the point. Right. Um, yeah, and, and you know, part of that is Haruf's uh, masterful grasp on character and on cadence and rhythm and how people talk. Yes. And, um you know all of that uh and i was gonna say something else about that but i have but now it's 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 just uh yeah oh no my my one other thought is that it does take it you know i know we spend a lot of time ranting about 
sort of orality versus literacy last episode. Um, mm-hmm. But it does, uh, an effect it can have, leaving off quotation marks, is to make it more like a story being told to you rather than a story that you're reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you think about, you know, if you think about any time someone's telling you an extended, even just account of like a conversation that they had with someone like they'll quote them mm-hmm. but it's very much sort of in their own in their own voice and it usually sort of flows in with the rest of the yeah of the uh the sentence or the the paragraph or whatever um rather than there being any kind of formal mechanism in conversation to mm-hmm. s- sort of i mean you have air quotes and you have saying right. quote and then saying unquote but even those are much more those, like those have very borrowed. specific purposes besides just quoting someone yeah and and also they're almost more like something borrowed from literature than they yeah. are something that arises out of the yeah. the oral uh story mm-hmm. yeah so so now that we've gone on about quotation marks <laughs> yeah i mean we can just we're just done now right yeah now that's that's it that's all there is to say about this book <laughs> it doesn't have quotation marks now you can feel like you've read it <laughs> yeah no uh in fact uh this book no stop come back stop come back listen to wait this. wait, wait. <sighs> all right uh gentle listener you just saw the look that michael and i exchanged so you know what to do pause the podcast tape now yeah, uh, you know, ignore that sort of like squealing, squeaky noise that a that a podcast that. tape makes when you hit the pause button and it's sort of the the clicky, clicky clatter, clatter as it tries either. to play. It's really quite uh, simple. Use your smartphone or pause the podcast tape. Just push pause. Read the book. Come yeah. back. We'll give you a second. Go ahead. Go go. No, now go. No, st- stop looking at us like that. All right, just go read a read the freaking book. All right. And welcome back. Wasn't it great? Yeah, yeah. Like there were, no there were no quotation marks, marks? right? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. I know you wouldn't have noticed that if we hadn't pointed we it hadn't out told already. You. So really, we structured this episode quite consciously and on purpose, and didn't forget. They anything. needed that introduction. Yeah, we otherwise don't, they wouldn't have noticed. We don't forget things. No, we don't. No, we never we forget anything. We know what things are. Everything. We know how to. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> Uh, okay, so, um, so you know me, Ethan, when I write in a book, uh-huh. when I read a book, I write in a book, un- uh-huh. unless it's lost in the cosmos, then it doesn't let me write in the book. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird to see your copy of Lost in the Cosmos, where first you had written in at the bottom of the page, feel free to attach more pages if uh, writing space <laughs> is necessary, and then you had gone ahead and stapled pages to yeah, the... Yep. To the printed pages. Yep, yep. It was but, effective. It was just weird. Looking. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's harder to fit on a bookshelf now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what I'll tend to do, uh, part of my method, is to write themes and things in on a blank page in the back of the book. Sure. Uh, and I started doing that with this one, and I kind of got some around there, but the way the themes in this book came out... I had to almost draw a flowchart <laughs> of themes <laughs> to try to get everything to make sense. Um, there are a lot of themes that I, I could just name them and we could start talking about them, but right. how they all interconnect uh, is a little more difficult for me to pin down. Ultimately, yeah. uh, when I tried to reflect back on this book holistically, I realized it's just a really simple story. Yeah. Uh, and reading it, in the act of reading it, it did not feel that simple. Right. But reflecting back it was simple and straightforward and just clear i mean you know once again uh we're never gonna just like get past the title of this book um no let alone into any of the the parts of books that i usually talk about that i'm not (laughs) saying because i'm not losing this podcast um you know it it just it reflects that again it's Mm -hmm. it's a plain simple song composed out of many voices and that's the reason that it felt complicated reading it Mm -hmm. if you if you listed the number of characters um Mm -hmm. there are at least say two to four subplots going on yep um you know you could depending on sort of how you how you parse them you could say up Mm -hmm. to six um Mm -hmm. sort of through lines just plot wise going on right uh but also you could really just you know summarize the plot in two sentences Pretty much, you could tell the tell the story in miniature in two sentences. Do that? No, 
No, you're not going to do that. <laughs> I'm saying you could. But not that you want but to. But not that I want to. Okay. Okay. Um, which is which is awful. I, I do know and admit that I was I just like broke all the rules of, you, of freeform improv. You did. Because you always say yes in, in freeform and <laughs> you uh, just did the opposite of yes. And basically what I'm what I'm covering for is the fact that while Michael literally just finished this book as we began the podcast, um I finished the book just before giving it to Michael about a month ago uh, <laughs> at the end of the last podcast. And I had been Long story short, here's my two-sentence story. I have been meaning to buy myself another copy of this book and haven't yet, and therefore did not reread it as I'd intended before this podcast, which I felt was probably okay because I've only read it a month ago, but uh, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Basically, I've just forgive you. discredited anything that I that I right. So do the, or will say about the this authoritative part. voice on this podcast has now become me. Huh? <laughs> Till I shoot you. Speaking of which, there's no shooting in this book. <laughs> which there's a point to what I'm saying here. <laughs> what that I was mean... the most beautiful I think segue <laughs> that's ever been on this podcast. Okay. Uh, what what I mean is there's um, there are several of what could be Chekhov's gun situations. Yes. Uh, yes. But the guns never go off. Yes. That's what I mean. So um, specifically, there's the the one upstart kid. What's his name? Russell something. Yeah. Uh, Russell should be good enough. Baxter Baker. It starts with a B. Anyway, that Russell kid and his family. Right. Um. So there there are so many threats. That are laid, uh, where uh, like you haven't heard the last of me, or I'm not done with you yet. Right. And uh, it starts with Beckman, Russell Beckman. That's yes. his name. Very good. Uh, it starts with him. He threatens the teacher uh, Guthrie, um, who's one of the semi main characters, and he says, "Well, I'm going to come back. I'm going to. You, you haven't heard the last of me, basically. Right, right, right. Um, and that one that almost does get fulfilled, but. Uh, then there's a connection with his family too, where the father says the same thing right. twice, in fact, right. uh, once when there's like a parent teacher conference thing and they're talking about disciplining Russell, right. uh, and the parents are the, I mean, you can just picture these super white trash overprotective, uh, my child can never do anything wrong. Super types. defensive. Yeah. Defensive. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the dad, Mr. Beckman is just like, I'm going to deal with this. You just wait. I'm going to deal with it. Uh-huh. Uh, and that one never gets fulfilled. Uh, right. And then there's uh, Dwayne, Victoria's former beau, the, her baby daddy, <laughs> right. um, uh, who at towards the end of the book, before Victoria... Oh, no, after the, after Victoria had the baby, um, then uh, the, the old men find him in their house, uh, and he's sitting there trying to get Victoria to come with him and... Uh, you know, gets a little violent, and then the the brothers, the old man brothers, throw him out, and he says, "You haven't heard the last of me. I'm coming back." Right. Um, and all of those don't get fulfilled. And in fact, um, probably as far as sort of a classical plot structure goes, uh, the the thread that's left the most hanging is that that Russell Beckman thread. Yeah. Um, there's there's sort of that confrontation towards the end mm-hmm. of the book, uh, but you know we're left with straight up not knowing mm-hmm. who the school board sides with whether lawyers are called in yep. you know there's all well, kinds a, of it's potential. mentioned at the end that yeah and it's called lawyers and it's highlighted at the end it's yeah. not only like kent Haruf has left this thread hanging it's like it's like he's left it hanging this is and, here. and here it is <laughs> at the end of this book now right um which i don't know if in because there's there are two books that that i don't know if they're sequels or if they're sort of right. follow-up books, like they take place in the same centered around Holt, the the same yeah. town, um, and they involve at least some of the same characters. And I don't know if that thread does get taken up then. Sure. Uh, Which, in those you know, sequels, telling me that there is a sequel, whether that's a true sequel or not, right? You know, quote unquote sing- sequel. That after reading this and finding out that that's a thing that he wrote two more in this series, right, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it, it didn't necessarily need to happen this book does stand by itself even though there are all these threads hanging right. dangling at the end well and that's what i was gonna say though is you know even though there is there is sequel territory and there's the potential for these threads to get get taken up again uh you don't need to know that 
No. Um, and it doesn't, it frankly doesn't matter for this book. Oh, it really, really doesn't. You know, it's it just, this, this book is still, it's its own song, mm -hmm. even with mm -hmm. all of these, all of these sort of plot threads that, that mm -hmm. dangle to some extent. Um, and I think part of that is just sort of life, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you, you, uh, I've, it, now that I'm saying it, it, it sort of reminds me of a phenomenon I've noticed in my own life. Where I've often been like the confidant, the, the the like any group of friends I have, I'm I'm sometimes like the counselor mm -hmm. or one of the counselors. Like if someone has to talk something out or get something off their chest, like it's me for whatever reason. Like I'm a hostile jackass, but but for whatever but you're reason, so apparently. So, um, uh, you know, so I, I've I've had a lot of experiences with with. Having to go off with people and then being like, oh, this person I'm dating, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, oh, my dad always blah, blah, blah. You know, these these interpersonal conflicts, right? Um, and, you know, I sometimes you just they just need an ear and I just sort of listen and like actively listen and let them know I'm listening and that's enough. But sometimes it's like legitimate, like I'll ask probing questions or or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, sort of sort of try to try to judge it or even ask the person what they whether they want me to just listen or whether they want actual advice, whatever, uh, and, you know, and we'll have our have our bowl session and and whatever. This happened a lot more probably in college than than these days. As when we sort you of, were single, yeah. Well, and, and <laughs> you know, when we were all sort of in the same environment, and maybe we were younger and needed more of that, and we all didn't sleep and were single, so like drama happened for some reason in those what? conditions that's what i've noticed is like you know in college everyone is like i hate drama but then you're at a very hormonal point in your life and you don't sleep yeah lots of hormones um, very little sleep and then we're surprised close quarters yeah close quarters <laughs> and then surprise that drama happens <laughs> yep <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, it's like living in a small town where everybody knows your business. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except at least in a small town, like a large amount of the people are adults and they get regular sleep because they have to for work. Right. Which obviously doesn't prevent drama, especially no. now but that. But maybe they it can puts a little drink. bit of a damper on it. Slows it down. Yeah, it slows it down. So it it plays out over like years rather than right. weeks. Right. Um. <laughs> anyway, so what I noticed is. I would hear the beginnings of all of these stories, right? Mm. You know, oh, my dad, blah, you know, didn't do the thing, or my boyfriend did do the thing, or my mm -hmm. girlfriend always wants me to do the thing, but this I don't want to. This was all the same person. Yeah, it was, it was actually a pretty... <laughs> Had a uh... really messed up life. <laughs> um... So, yeah the 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 multiple the having a girlfriend and a boyfriend thing mm -hmm. all by and itself a dad. and a dad <laughs> um uh yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah anyway um before we get too far down that theoretical plot thread <laughs> uh leave it dangling what I, what i noticed is i would hear like the first act of all of these stories um and you know i i get it when people are at their sort of most emotionally worked up and then I wouldn't hear the rest of them because like what happens after that point you get, you have someone to listen to you. You work some of this stuff out. You go back to the person and like probably you resolve things. Theoretically or, you'd hope. Yeah. You, you would hope. Um, and, but if you do like, you're not going to come back to me then and be like, Oh cool. The thing worked out. Here, let me tell you the end of the story. Yeah. No. And be, because you didn't, That's you Walter didn't Cronkite's need job. You <laughs> Uh, so yeah, like, you know, and that's just one sort of specific and meandering example, but in life you do, mm -hmm. you encounter all of these stories that like, you just get the first few, the yeah. first few incidents, you get maybe five incidents out of 50, but those five are the ones that you know, and like, you're sort of left to put some kind of, some kind of order on that. Can I jump off of that sort of thread yeah. and get to the theme about the book itself? Ex absolutely. Um, the... The book has bookends uh, to you know, how it begins and how it ends. It's parallel. Yes. Uh, and it's, uh, I'll just read, it, it comes in the first sentence and the last sentence. The first sentence is, here was this man, Tom Guthrie and Holt, standing at the back window in the kitchen of his house, smoking cigarettes and looking out over the back lot where the sun was just coming up. Which I love that opening line. Uh -huh. Let me just say, uh -huh. uh, no punctuation until you get to the period at the end of the sentence. Uh, it's very conversational. And it just kind of starts and, you know, 
where does it, where am I going to start? Well, here's this man. Right. Uh, and, you know. <laughs> uh, and so, okay, the point I want to uh, bring up is uh, he's looking out over the back lot where the sun was just coming up. Mm-hmm. Book ends. Last sentence. They stood on the porch a while longer in the evening air, 17 miles out south of Holt at the very end of May. So it begins in the morning and ends in the evening. Right. Uh, very deliberate because if you reflect back through this book and think of any scene, the one thing that you'll keep in common with all of the scenes is what the light was like uh-huh. in those scenes. That yeah. is very a very strong theme throughout this book. Yeah, and the just the passage of time in the yeah. days uh, where even if the light is just described as morning and evening, um, especially once you get close to the end of the book, it uh, days seem to go by quicker. Mm. Um, and you get evening and then morning and evening and morning and evening and morning and evening and morning and it's just back to back but throughout the book it's that way uh, which is kind of getting to that idea of how this is imitating life right. where it's just days go by and things are happening and right. things you know things from the previous day don't get resolved until maybe the next day and now we've gone through this book how many days but it starts in the morning right. ends in the evening and you know what's going to happen another day and so there's time for things to be resolved so it really gives a sense of how things will continue, even if there's not a sequel written. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, you know, as you say that, one thing that struck me too, um, and now I, I mean, I I wanted to reread this book as soon as I finished it, but um, now I want to reread it even more to see if if what occurred to me is borne out. So you have, you open in the morning and you, you end in the evening, um, and I wonder if at if at markers throughout the book, there's sort of a progression of the idea mm. of a, a single day within this this larger set of days, um, which of so course like there's a noon to the book, and there's yeah, a, yeah, mm, yeah. Like I, you know, the, I believe this this hardcover edition here is is 300 pages long. Yep. Um, I, I, it just makes me wonder if like if you got to roughly page 150, let's see what's going know, on. If there page was, 150. If there was a a noon, um sort of setting or sort of time marker that that was very prominent uh and maybe it'd be more subtle and maybe we can't just open it to 150 and just see that even though michael is attempting that right now and i'm trying to say a sentence to cover for him while he does it getting there yeah um okay so here's something interesting Uh uh-huh um and i don't know it, it might fit about with that idea i just remembered exactly what's on page 151 more or less not exactly okay. but well okay to be more honest i remembered the effect that page 151 specifically had on me oh, okay but but proceed um page 151 is the end of a chapter with ike and bobby the little boy brothers they're nine and ten yeah uh, i think bobby's the older one i think i, don't know if I think matters. so yeah um which which uh le- let me point out ike eisenhower and uh bobby kennedy Oh, okay. See, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Names with Ethan. Names with Ethan. Names. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Which maybe, maybe this isn't the time to bring it up, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. Go ahead. Uh, what is the temporal setting of this book? Like, um, just what decade does it occur in? Yeah, that's a really good question. My assumption, uh, and you know, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe you can, you can. Uh, cast doubt on this if it occurred to you to ask um my assumption has just been that it was contemporary roughly to when the book was written that it was mid late 90s um because mm-hmm. there are a lot of markers in it that could place it earlier but you mm-hmm. have to remember this is a little sort of obscure yeah. co- town colorado town out on the plains so i just sort of figured and i'm sure a lot of the the time layering was sort of intentional and he, mm-hmm. he highlighted it but i just it it really just reminded me of a lot of you know little Little small towns I've been to, say in like central Wisconsin, rural rural Wisconsin mm-hmm. towns, where you know you have you have like bank buildings or town halls that like maybe had been had been touched up over the years and like you got the black mold out and technically brought it up to fire code, mm-hmm. but it's still essentially a building from 1935, right? Or whatever you know. Or there's all over Wisconsin, you can still see WPA Works Progress Administration mm-hmm. from the New Deal, you know, walls, <clears throat> stone walls that were built and structures that were built in county parks uh you know stuff like that so um that was just my assumption was that it was that small town phenomenon of some of yeah. the the passage of the decades being accreted slowed. yeah and sure. slowed and which is so interesting forth. because uh, another theme and I'm, I'm derailing from talking about page 151 here mm-hmm. um 
uh, Denver plays a big role in this book as a place where people go and just are lost. Denver's right. kind of a black hole. People right. go there and they don't come back, except Victoria, which is her resurrection theme. Um, hence her name, Victoria. Victory. Uh-huh. 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 Names with Michael. Name. 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 Name with Michael. <laughs> I take it back. You t- you've taken back the names, <laughs> the names crown. Um, but uh, so Denver, like Ike and Bobby's mother, go to Denver and uh, goes to Denver and yeah. doesn't come back. And right. the last scene, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, the last scene in which we have we see her, she's just in a dark room, yeah, locked yeah. in and just cowering in her in her darkness. Like she's she's got some sort of uh, mental affliction. Something's getting to her or something like probably some form of depression yeah um it's it's never explicitly stated but it's something that has contributed in some way to the dissolution of her marriage with guthrie uh which i guess her name would technically be guthrie too but you know with tom uh Uh, and uh but uh you know he's not entirely innocent either um right uh so somewhere in there she's gone off but she's in denver and she's lost victoria also goes to denver with Dwayne, her baby daddy and she is the only one who actually makes it back from that. Besides Ike and Bobby, Bobby but they just go for visits. Sure, but even um, even in Victoria's thread, like uh, the time that she's in Denver, when you're back with the the brothers that she's staying with, like she's lost them. They don't, yep. you know, they, she's in Denver now, like that, and that's just yep. sort of and that's not quite. She's, she's gone. Yeah, and like, it's not it's, quite like she's dead, but it's like it's basically for the all same intents thing, and purposes to us, she's dead. Right. Um, the, the one, uh, point I want to bring up about this and the, the time aspect of it, um, is, uh, when she's talking to Dwayne and he's trying to get her to go to Denver on page 194, uh, she says, what would I do in Denver? And what does anybody do in Denver? He said, live in my apartment with me. And it's just kind of like, well, we'll just be, right. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, as opposed to in Holt. And then this goes on. Uh, the little town of Holt, and she goes, uh, and she says, six months had passed since he'd left, and things had happened to her, but what had changed for him? He looked no different. And so, in Holt, things are changing, right. but in Denver, they're not. Right. Which is a fascinating reversal of that kind of small town stuck in the time yeah. idea. Yeah. And calling attention to that fact. Right. Uh, yeah, that is that is really <clears throat> fascinating. It just emphasizes the timelessness of the book itself, right? I think. Yeah, no, and and you know, if if we press, if you press too far on that that whole, uh, what is the temporal setting? I would eventually get to it almost not mattering. Yeah, it absolutely you know, doesn't. This could be could be the nineteen fifties. It could be now almost. You know, mm-hmm. probably it's probably a little dated in twenty seventeen, but but not not by much, and not really in any way that matters. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and and uh, it's just a very, you know, and in in it, it, uh, I'm I'm trying to have three thoughts out loud at once here. Uh, <laughs> what it was making me think of, um, because you know, as as someone with a master's in English, I ha I can't avoid the idea of cultural context and the idea mm-hmm. that everything is very much shaped by a meta culture and you know and, and so forth. Um, but it was reminding me of taking my uh, in graduate school, my 18th century British novel class, uh, in which we read Tom Jones, um, the great sort of, sort of the first road comedy in, in English literature, uh, which, which has its descendants in, in literature as well as in, in, uh, various film, films and film genres and so forth. Um, but in Tom, you know, Tom Jones is about this kid who, uh, sort of grows up on a rich estate, but I think he's a bastard child. So he's like grown up around the wealth, but he doesn't stand to inherit the wealth. So he has to go out and, you know, all of that kind of setup and, and so forth is very specific to the 18th century British culture that, that it, you know, invokes. But I remember my professor just said, he said his, his notes in the margin through a lot of, especially the conversations in, in Tom Jones and so forth was just like, this is about human nature. This mm-hmm. is about, you know, how people are. So, you know, 
even even works of literature that have a very specific cultural setting they almost have to um i think sometimes like reach beyond that to like a very human drama to where you could play out the same thing in many different cultures mm-hmm. and um there's something universal about yeah, it yeah yeah anyway so page 151 yes what's going on in the smack middle of the book it's a chapter for ike and bobby yeah uh, and they have gone to visit this old lady yes. on their paper route. Yes. And while they're visiting her, like, your first impression of her when they first meet her is she's a creepy old lady. Yeah. Because they go and drop off her paper, and she's like, come on in. You should come and visit. And, like, the, it's a dark hallway that they're in, a, a dimly lit corridor, and so yeah. it's very creepy. Yeah. And it, she just seems like a crazy old lady who wants these little boys to come into her apartment to just keep her company and you know these little she, boys are like what the heck even if even if you get past the creepiness she just seems sort of naggy and sort naggy of, uh, and cranky cranky and, and, yeah. and demanding yes yeah uh but in this chapter they voluntarily go right and visit with her right and she winds up being really sweet and is like oh you're having a bad day let's yeah. bake some cookies yeah. and <laughs> like interacts with them and which is obviously treats them well. Yeah, obviously, sort of for them fulfilling a, a need. Yes, because their the mother has their mother. left yeah. and gone to Denver. This is shortly yeah. after the mother has gone to Denver, which is kind of it's delving into. And maybe this will wait until next episode to talk about this a little bit more. The theme sure. of womanhood, right, in this book. But for Ike and Bobby, it's almost like all women are the same. Uh-huh. Not in a misogynist way, because we're not misogynists on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> And also, they're little boys. <laughs> so back off of them, guys. <laughs> Get back. Get them, cut them some slack. Uh, but so she's like a surrogate mother. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, baking cookies with them, which is a very motherly thing to do. And if I remember, she even makes some remark that's along the lines of, like, I shouldn't have to, like, be your mother here. Like, this is not the order Kinda. of the world. But, like, I'm gonna. Right. Well, yeah. and, and um, she asks about her their mother and stuff and they say we're gonna go visit her soon and she says that'll be good won't it she must miss you terribly i would yeah breath itself i know she does too yeah she's literally being their surrogate mother like absolutely she she picks up that something is wrong i don't remember how explicitly they say it but she picks right up that something is wrong with their situation Mm -hmm. with their mother and so she's it's almost like an acting like a role like she's she's being she's, she's fitting into that yeah perfect and she's she's like saying the lines that she knows their mother ought to say yeah. and that she knows little boys need to hear yep. um and it's and it is maybe it's maybe it was just sort of my my uh depth reading there my, my like a, a meta reading that like she shouldn't have to be the one to do this but she sees quite clearly that no one else is right she sees the need and she fills it yeah um this is also in connection uh Part of their interaction mm-hmm. while they're in her apartment uh, is they see her photographs. Um, she brings out a cardboard box full of photographs, and they go and look through, and they were all of her son, Albert. That's him, she told them. Her tobacco-stained finger pointed at one of the photographs. That's my son. Okay, so with this whole theme of sonhood and motherhood, and she is their surrogate mother, and they've just lost their mother, like, effectively. She's gone in Denver, yeah. basically hell in this book. Yeah. Uh, and uh, now, that's my son. So there's a mother and a son. That's my son. He died in the war in the Pacific. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the son has died. Yeah. The, this this child. Uh, and then go down a few lines, um, and they see a picture of her. But they don't realize it's her because it's this young woman. And she right. says, that's how I used to look. She said, I was young once too, don't you know? Uh-huh. Which, which that very thing being, that's about, that line itself is almost the exact middle of this book. Right. Uh, that does kind of get a noontide sort yeah, of feel to it. it because you could make the argument that this book is Ike and Bobby's coming of age story. Absolutely. Yeah. And right there in the middle, they're realizing, oh, Young people get old and young people die. Right. And we're young. We can get old and we can die. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's definitely. Uh, yeah. And so what I was originally saying, like half an hour ago when we tried to start doing this, <laughs> um, was that if if that 
and now that we're now that we're talking about it i think there's a stronger and stronger argument for the idea that like within or almost overarching the succession of days within this text um that it, it the text itself is almost structured as a single day um mm. and that if you again remember that that very the that that very almost dry dictionary definition right at the start uh of of plain song and that brings in that spiritual heritage of plain song as a form mm-hmm. uh this becomes almost a monkish or a, a you know monastic sort of thing where you have the the services of the hours, the hours in the marking day. every yeah. every day so like you know you have that first line about you know it's it's the morning and he's standing mm-hmm. at the window that's there's like the matins idea yep. the, the first of the however many services of the hours there were eight eight yeah mm-hmm. um and then you know that hours. that last uh evening service your evening evening image um which you know could be could be compline could be the very end of the sort of end of the the day spiritually speaking and that 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 end comes just a couple chapters after ike and bobby's last personal chapter and Uh what they're doing in that last chapter of theirs uh for one they're effectively burying their mother yeah so like even though the last scene we have of the mother is she's in denver and it's left open as to whether she's ever coming back you know doubtful that she's ever coming back but like her ultimate fate is left open uh, for Ike and Bobby, it's ultimately closed. Yeah. And they bury her yeah. here by symbolically burying a bracelet that they get run over by a train. Right. Um, and and they're even... smoking cigarettes. Right. Which they hadn't done right. before this. And how the book opens is with their father smoking cigarettes. Yeah. yeah. So it is it is coming of age. They have come toward the position where their father is. Yeah. Which actually reminds me of the one major... Uh, thing that i had thought that we haven't broached at all and that's clearly going to be a next episode thing but it has to be <laughs> yeah right um that uh ike and bobby and the the two brothers who take in victoria have a clear parallel to the point yes. that you know if if you did some weird sort of science fictiony shenanigans with the time you could say that this is the the older brothers uh a coming of age story that like Ike and Bobby turn into these brothers when yeah. they're older and I think oh, one man. of the open questions about the text is is do they and will they or will they Yeah. you know and should they or will they take a different path should they take a different sure. path Well and even before characters started meeting because each chapter is is headed by a character's name or a pair of characters names as yeah. in the case of Ike and Bobby uh so it centers around those characters but even you know, before the characters ever met, I wondered whether this did take place over a span of oh, time. Oh, sure, yeah. And whether, you know, Ike and Bobby did become the McFerrins. Yeah. Or uh, something like that. Or whether yeah. um, Victoria was their mother. Yeah. Uh, or something like that. Something sure. interesting. But, you know, that just opens up the fact that there are these parallels yeah. throughout the whole book yeah. among the characters. But uh, we might have to talk about that a little bit more next month. We definitely will. So, uh, that'll end for for this week gentle listener and we will uh let you know what we're reading next month it is the house of special purpose by john boyne you'll know that before ethan does well depending on how you how you uh how i interpret temporality right time is a construct yeah um so yeah Anyway, feel free to read along with that now that you know, yep. even though I don't. Ethan doesn't, but you can talk to us about it. Uh, and if you'd like to join the discussion about it, visit us at tapestryradio.org. Leave your feedback in the contact section. Uh, put Scotch Talk in the subject line. That helps us find out where to put all the contact information. Um, um, or, or just comment on any of the episodes. That's good, yeah, too. Any, you know, uh, yeah, and you can do that on our website. You can do that on Facebook. Yep. We have... A uh, group for or a uh, uh, page for Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch specifically. Um, mm-hmm. We have one for the Tapestry Radio Network as a whole. Uh, we post Michael and Ethan episodes on both of those pages, so mm-hmm. you know we can uh, find them there, comment find, on them, yeah, comment share on them. them there. Also, join our closed group, the Tapestry Radio Tap House. Um, mm-hmm. You just have to apply, and as long as you're not like you know evil or a robot or a robot or an evil robot. Um, <laughs> 
As long as you're not any of those three things, you have alarmed the dog. <laughs> yep. Uh, we will let you in. She doesn't like evil robots either. She, she doesn't. She gets very afraid of them. Also wind, from what I hear. Yeah, wind and garbage cans and... Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> people standing up too suddenly. Uh, chairs. Metal chairs, chairs that fall over. Just any chairs falling over. Any chairs over. falling over. Seen these wooden chairs fall She's over. She's afraid of them. Uh, <laughs> She's a big, scary dog. Yeah. Uh, she is a Rottweiler. <laughs> she is a Rottweiler. You wouldn't know it, though. You wouldn't know it by the way she acts. <laughs> so if you like what we do here each month, uh, review us on iTunes, on Yes, or Stitcher, anywhere else your podcasts um, are sold. Podcast Addict, the Pod app knife. That, that we both use. Yeah, Podcast Pod Addict. Uh, anywhere that, that, yeah, you get you get your podcasts. Um, we only like positive feedback, so if you have anything negative to say, just like write it in your diary and don't publish it anywhere. Yep. Or um, give us five stars and then tell us what you think. But as long as it's five stars, yeah, it's cool. That totally works too. fine. That, that works too. Yeah. All we care about are the stars. Yeah. We don't care about what you have to say. <laughs> so yeah, following up on that theme of alienating everyone forever. I'm just trying to get a bookend to the episode. <laughs> Good work. Uh, um, Follow us on Twitter. We are at Room with Scotch on Twitter, uh, or the network is at Tapestry radio uh i am on twitter at m-g-l-i-l-i-e-n-t-h-a-l i am on twitter at at bjartlett b-j-a-r-t-l-e-t-t mm-hmm. we we mentioned the tapestry radio network we have some other great shows there intermission is our our fiction podcast mm-hmm. uh roll to amble is the dungeons and dragons 5e real play podcast and then pokemon rollout is the the pokemon rpg would you also call that a real play podcast? Yeah. Yep. Okay. RPGs confuse me, but uh, <laughs> the the voice work I've heard on both of those shows is very good. Um, yeah. So. I I write a a web comic where that's called Pin Porter Girl Detective. If you like um sort of uh film noir fairy tales, um that would be one to check out. It's uh pinporterdetective.com we are just coming to the end of our second chapter um so it's it's sort of a good jumping on time go back and, and reread mm-hmm. or read the first two chapters well, and you'll or... come out with a hard copy of it too right uh eventually, eventually. we do have a hard copy available on etsy of chapter one so mm-hmm. i hope we're i have gonna... a copy of that oh it's very good cool um i hope we're gonna i assume we're gonna come out with chapter two at some point um but yeah yeah uh so until two weeks from today when we will continue discussing plain song and uh doing other unspeakable things uh, <laughs> don't read too much into that or read everything into that read do what everything. you want we are yeah. not your mother we are not uh, uh we are michael and ethan in, in a room scotch. with scotch
Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener, obviated objects of oblivion obambulating about, offered unto you in the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org, from our fancy to yours. (laughs) 